Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message. take a moment to pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this morning, for the opportunity that we've had already to worship you and to celebrate uh, who you are, uh, to invite you to be present amongst us. And I pray, Lord, that as we look at your role, Holy Spirit, amongst us as your people, that you would awaken in us uh, a willingness to open up our lives in new ways to you, to allow you to work in and through us. Uh, so that we can truly represent your kingdom here on earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you were around last Sunday, but last Sunday uh, when Micah spoke about the who the Holy Spirit is, uh, he talked about a number of things at the end of that service that I want to remind you of. He talked about the fact that uh, to allow the Spirit to work in us, there has to be an openness. And I hope you sensed that this morning, that there was a longing amongst us to experience him, his presence with us. But it also requires a sensitivity that we have to be sensitive to, we have to be listening, we have to intentionally give attention to the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we sort of walk along and he slams into us and catches our attention. He is much more subtle than that. And then finally, the uh, last one is a willingness to engage with the Holy Spirit to actually respond to the voice of him speaking. And then at the end of the service, he did a a thing where he took a number of scripture verses and asked us to reflect on them. In a sense, he read them a couple of times and asked us to pick up themes. And this morning, someone during prayer time uh, talked about the fact that she sensed that God had spoken to her about the idea of having an unveiled face, being unveiled before him. And then as she prayed about that throughout the week, she sensed that that was for us. And so I want to encourage you that God is working and moving and shaping. And even as I was preparing this message throughout the week, there's a lot to be said in this area that I'm going to be talking to you about. And so I filled up a number of pages of notes. And then I, as I do, and I come down to the end, I sort of start to organize the thoughts and put them down into slides and step by step. It started to unfold. But I got to tell you, it wasn't until we were singing this morning, until we were praying just before the service, that some of the pieces started to fall into place. And that's the way the Spirit is. You know, you take and you read about, you take the Bible, you study it, you sort of get a frame of what the truth is, and then the Spirit comes along and He starts to shape it in our lives. Do you realize that the work of the Spirit is twofold, right? There is this that he wrote as a way for us to have something tangible in our hands to understand who God is and how he works. And then there is his presence in us speaking and guiding, taking and making sense of this for our lives. And it takes both. It's not a one or the other. 
but it takes both. And so this morning we want to take a look at that and uh, get a perspective on that. So we're going to take a look starting off with Matthew chapter 16. In my original notes I had Matthew 18 and Micah who reviews, no, he takes my message and gets it so it gets up there on the screen. Uh, he was reading through it and he goes, oh, you missed the reference. So it's Matthew 18, verses 17 and 18. Why am I starting with Jesus' declaration about building his church? You need to understand that the work of the Holy Spirit is a follow-through follow -through on Jesus' intention in this world. And that Jesus' intention in this world is the result of the Father's plan. You see, all of the Godhead is involved in the process that we are talking about this morning. And it just happens that the Holy Spirit is the sharp end of the stick in our lives. He's the one that makes it work in us, penetrates into our lives. And so in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, verse 17, You are blessed, Simon Peter, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You see, Jesus had asked this question, Who do you say that I am? Who do you think I am? The disciples are sort of stunned by what he, the question, and Simon finally, being the brave one, the outspoken one, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, or Simon actually, you have not known this on yourself. The Father has revealed it to you. And so he goes on to say, and now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Or as the, and, uh, uh, another translation says, and the gates of hell will not prove stronger than it. I like the second translation in the parenthesis just simply because I believe that the church is not static. It does not stand still. I believe the church is an advancing force that God has prepared to confront evil in our world, to confront the forces of darkness. And this is what Jesus wants to build. And it is through the work of the Holy Spirit that this happens. How do we know this? Well, in John chapter 16, if you want to look at the work of the Spirit and what it's about, you need to read John chapters 14, 15, and 16. It's probably one of the best summaries of the overall work of the God through the Holy Spirit amongst us. But in chapter 16, or yeah, John 16, In verse 13, it says, the spirit of truth comes. When the spirit of truth comes, Jesus speaking, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And then this phrase, he will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, and for this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You know, it's sort of an interesting sort of thing, this phrasing in here. It's really about the fact that Jesus is saying everything that is in heaven, everything that is in God's intention for us, is ours. You see, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it talks about that, that every spiritual blessing in heaven is ours. And it is ours through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus said, I will build my church, he was saying, I will build my church through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the presence of the Holy Spirit amongst us. And that's why it's so important that we as a congregation are aware of who he is and how he works 
and that we are sensitive and open to him, that we really want to engage with him in our lives. That little exercise that Micah had you do at the end of last Sunday, that is something that you can do every day when you read your Bible. You see, this is the Word of God. This is written by the Spirit. And when you are reading it, are you paying attention and waiting for the Spirit of God to take and highlight a specific thing? To awaken in you a new perspective that allows you to engage with God in a new way? I was praying with for a number of people uh, this week, and as I was praying for them, I walked into our kitchen, get my piece of toast ready for before I got going with my day, and we have a little set of scripture verses that are there, and so I flipped to the next one, and it was an interesting one because it really started to shape the way I prayed for the people I was praying for. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 20. I'm not going to get it perfect because I've read it in so many different translations, I'm going to mix them all up, but it says something like this. To choose life, catch that? To choose life, love the Lord your God, obey him, and then it says, and stay close to him. Did you catch that? Three steps in choosing life. And when I read that, it fits so well in the context of how I was praying. It was the Spirit of God taking and awakening something in me and directing me. Are you ready, ready to engage? Are you longing to hear him speak? It isn't very loud. The Spirit of God comes like a dove, quiet, gentle, nudging, directing, speaking through a thought, an intent of the heart. It can come so quickly, so simply. And are you practicing that? Are you asking the Lord in a specific situation, how am I supposed to act in this moment? What am I supposed to do? And then are you stopping and ask, listening and saying, Lord, what is it? You see, when we want to engage with somebody, we maybe ask questions, curiosity about them, who they are. And when then we stop and we listen, we let them respond to us. Or in your prayers, do you just take and pray through a list and then move on with your day? without stopping and saying, Lord, how do you want me to pray? How do you want me to engage with my neighbor? How do you want me to be in my workplace? And so it is important that we recognize that it is the Spirit of God that is present in us, that speaks to us, who guides us and directs us. When Jesus said that he would build his church, these two verses from John chapter, or John chapter 13 and John 17 have become pretty key verses in my understanding of who we are as the body of Christ. They're both familiar to most of us. The first one is uh, John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love each other. By this will all men know that you're my disciples, that you love each other. You see, at the very core of the community of faith is this idea that we represent the God who loves. 
And that means we love each other. We stand for each other. And this passage really makes it clear that when we do that, it becomes something that's acknowledged by the world around us. And they understand that we are followers of Jesus. The second one is from John chapter 17. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one even as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. This was Jesus praying, right? May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. This is talking about being purposeful. Unity of purpose. That's one of the reasons why as a congregation, you've embraced the benediction that you use on a regular basis here, right? It's a declaration of who you are. It's a declaration of your intention in this world. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So go and be who you are. It is a clarity about unity around our intention. And when you function in that, when you actually are walking together purposely and intentionally, the world takes notice. As you step outside, I mean, to make that statement in this room makes no difference. But to go outside of this room and engage in serving the community around you together, that starts to make a difference. A number of people we've talked to talk about the fact that one of the first things that caught their attention about Crosspoint is the fact that you were engaged in the Beverly cleanup. You were going out and serving your community together. Just a little pitch here, that is coming up. Have you signed up to join yet? Because it is one of those things that says to Newton, it says to Beacon Heights, it says to this community that Crosspoint cares about who is around us. And so it's important that we recognize that these things that we can do together are clear, clear statements about who God is because we are representing him in this world. I have to say that both of these passages have this phrase at the end, by this will all men know that you're my disciples. And then the other one says, to John 17, that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Both of them are representing or saying that these actions clearly represent the heart of God. And it says something to the world. The second one, this is one of the things I like about the work of the Holy Spirit through Scripture, is if there is a passage of Scripture that's a little bit ambiguous, it could be interpreted both way, two ways, it usually means you can interpret it both ways. The fact is, is that God wants the world to know that he loves them. And so when you go out and you purposely and intentionally, as a community of faith, engage in serving your community, it says to the world that you love them. I mean, the way Jesus said it here, you know that you sent me and that you love them, that them could be the body of Christ. But also it is the world around. And so both statements are true. And so... You need to recognize that these are foundational characteristics of who we are as a community of faith. Who we are in serving in this world. And there is the work of the Spirit in us to see that happen. 
And then there is this passage from Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, it goes like this. So now you Gentiles, unless you're Jewish in this room, you're a Gentile. And now, as followers of Christ, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, you're a Christian. So you Gentiles are no longer strangers and are foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus as the cornerstone. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made to be a part of the dwelling for God, where he lives by his spirit. You see, the building of the church is about a place where God resides. So when we sang the songs this morning, I pray that you are praying them, that he would come and fill the atmosphere, that he would come and touch our lives and join us together in some dynamic way. Because every time we engage with that intention, that is our longing and desire, he is joining us together. He is fitting us together tighter and tighter. And we are becoming a place where his presence becomes real. A couple of weeks ago when we started this series, I talked about the fact that in the Old Testament, we had a tabernacle that was designed to hold the presence of God. He showed up and nobody could be present there because his glory was too strong. Fast forward, they built a temple. Solomon built a temple. Again, it was on the direction of the Holy Spirit. And when that temple was dedicated, the Spirit of God came and filled that temple. The next time that happened was at Pentecost, where his people came together. And if you read the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1 and 2, you'll see there at the beginning that they were all together, one place, praying together. They were united in intention and heart. And God poured out his Spirit and overwhelmed that place overwhelmed it by his presence and also by their hunger and their desire to go out and declare the glory of God everywhere. That's what he wants here. He wants us to be a people that are joined together. And that's why it's important to recognize that the work of the Spirit is building us together, connecting us to each other. So I'm going to take you to Galatians chapter 5. The book of Galatians is an interesting book simply because Paul, in writing it, this was a group of churches. It wasn't written to one particular location. Galatia, Galatia was a province in Asia Minor. So he was writing it to the churches in that area. It's a little bit like Peter. It's first Peter that we studied earlier this year. And so he's writing to these churches. And so they had all become followers of Christ in these churches, and he was concerned because they were starting to slide into a belief that they could work out their salvation by fulfilling the guidelines of the law. And so Paul goes through in this book to talk about the fact that it is not, you are not saved through obeying the law, you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. In other words, Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid the price for all of our sins, everybody's. 
doesn't matter who they were in the world, their sins have already been paid for. And now it is our responsibility as followers to acknowledge that, to invite him to forgive us, and then to engage in the mission that he's calling us to. To take that good news of freedom that we have in Christ. And so in Galatians chapter 5, he has he starts off the, the passage with, uh, I'm going to find it right here. It's in my Bible. Galatians chapter 5, and I uh, don't have verse 1 up there, but verse 1 is, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. In other words, when we came into relationship with Jesus Christ, the law, the Ten Commandments, in a sense, lost their power. Not their power in a sense of directing us in the right way to live, but their power to condemn us of sin. You see, that was the power of, sin, of the law. The law was given to make, us, make it clear how we missed the mark. But now as followers of Christ, all of our sins have been forgiven. And that means that we are, have a freedom, not a freedom to do whatever we want, but a freedom to be shaped by our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that freedom allows us to engage in relationships with each other without guilt, but with an intention to love and to care and to work together to see the gospel communicated around the world. So Galatians 5, verse 16, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. If you read more closely in this chapter, Paul talks about the freedom we have, and then he goes on to talk about the fact that our old nature led us down a road of sin. But now we have this freedom to do what God wants. And so we are to be led by the Spirit rather than by our own desires. Go back a slide, please. So, verse 22. But the Spirit, Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness. I'm trying to do it without looking at the slide. <laughs> Gentleness. What was that? Self-control. I missed one. I have all these little tricks that try to help me to remember these nine, but I fail every time. So the first three are love, joy, peace, right? Just so you know, the first three are all one-syllable words. See, there's one clue. The second three are all two-syllable words, right? Patience, kindness, goodness, there. And then the last three are all three-syllable words. This only works in English, by the way. If you're speaking another language, don't even think about it. The last ones are uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're going to read back earlier in John cha or Galatians chapter 5, when it talks about how we are motivated by ourselves and we end up doing all kinds of uh, things that don't please God, you'll notice how so self-centered those are. James says that the fact is, is that we sin because of our own desires. What is in our own hearts 
if we allow those things to direct us, we end up serving ourselves, protecting ourselves, guarding against others. But when you take a look at the fruit of the Spirit, you can now show that next slide. I found this wonderful little picture on the web. I'm not sure if it's big enough for you to read it all up there. But it has, in the very center, it's about the fact that we have been chosen. Let me get it up close and personal for myself here so I can give it to you. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence. You know, sometimes people say you need to exhibit this or that to show that you are God's. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is really the clearest evidence that God is present in our lives. Because you'll notice these gifts, or these, this fruit, is all other-focused in a sense. Love, joy, peace. Right? And then you have patience. I got to tell you, patience is other-focused. Goodness, other focused, right? Kindness, other focused. You can take all of them. Faithfulness, gentleness. The one that's a little harder to say is other focused is self-control. But I have to say you're self-controlled because you don't want to dump on somebody else. And that is the key in building the church. When Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What he's talking about is the building of the church is the building of the attitude within. The thing that knits our lives together. And it's the spirit of God that comes and helps us with that. It's the spirit of God that enables us to live our lives differently. Because when we take and we submit ourselves to Christ, what we're doing is we're crucifying ourselves. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I've said it a number of times because I really like this verse. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That verse talks about the fact that we have let go of ourselves and submitted ourselves to the heart of Christ. It is the Spirit of God that reveals that heart to us. And it isn't an academic thing. It is something where you need to engage in it daily. You need to have a sensitivity to the Spirit that He would speak to you and guide you in difficult circumstances where you want to go with your own feelings and you end up needing to go with the heart of Jesus instead. That is not an easy thing. How many of you have struggled to overcome some difficult... Don't put up your hands, you all did. The reality is, is we all have this internal struggle. I gotta say, I, I wasn't gonna do this, but I'm gonna do it anyway. The Edmonton Oilers won last night. Oh, yeah, there's a few of you that are happy about that. 
You know one of the things that was the downfall in their losses? They were undisciplined. They allowed their internal desire to get even or to protect somebody, to interrupt their intention and purpose in this world, right? Their intention was to win the game. And a couple of games they lost just simply because they lost control. It is true in our lives, just like it's true for them. And how do you do that? Well, Micah gave you an exercise last week in terms of reading scripture and paying attention to it and asking the Lord, what's this saying to me? You need to understand that that is the ongoing practice that you need to exercise. That practice, that discipline is giving your attention to God, inviting him to speak into the moment. I've said in the past couple of weeks, one of, I believe, the spiritual gifts that we need to practice more, and this is in terms of evangelism, the spiritual gift that we need to practice more is curiosity. Curious about who other people are, how they think, what they believe, because in the act of asking and pursuing to get to know them, we start to see the places where Jesus could minister to them, where Jesus' love could be touching their lives. In this world of growing in sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, the gift, or the gift that we need to engage in is this desire to invite him to speak, to listen. In other words, some you're hitting a difficult situation. Somebody's body checked you into the boards. Your intention is to take your stick and swing at them. And you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Just by asking the question, you change the perspective. Now, most of you don't play hockey, so that doesn't matter. But you know what I mean when I say somebody's body checked you. And you know what I mean when I say you want to turn around and you want to get even, you want to retaliate. And that is the very heart that Jesus wants to challenge. And so when you open the door, as Micah said, when you open that door, you are inviting him to act. And if you take the time to be sensitive, to listen, you're going to hear him direct you. He's going to speak. He's going to say something. He's going to give you a nudge. And then you need to engage. You need to actually be obedient to that. And every one of those steps takes you closer to being like Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11 is a passage where it talks about the gifts that Jesus gives to his church. Now, these are the gifts Christ gives to the church. I know we're talking about the Holy Spirit, but you need to recognize that everything that the Father planned, everything that Jesus set as an example or gave as a gift, is mediated, it's passed through the Holy Spirit to us. That's why he is such a significant person in our lives. That's why we need to have that sensitivity to him. And these five gifts, fivefold ministries, 
apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. These are the very framework of the church. Do you recognize that this is how God, by his spirit, guides us, matures us as a body of believers? I'm going to take an old uh, cowboy image from the old movies. Some of you are too young to appreciate these, but back in the days, they used to have these things called wagon trains. And the people from the east that were poor in the United States, they would often move to the west to try to find new lands. Some of you who have come to Canada as immigrants probably have had the same experience, where you're in a situation that's been difficult and you wanted to move to some place that had more opportunity for you and your family. We all have that kind of background in our lives. So on this wagon train, they would organize and people would come together and they'd say, we want to take you out there. And the person who was the wagon master, he was like an apostle. <clears throat> He's someone who had been out there before. He had a bit of an idea of the lay of the land and he wanted to lead people out there. And so he came along and he said, I have this idea. Come and join me. Apostles are a little bit like entrepreneurs. They can see a way forward. But alongside that, because we're followers of Christ, you have these things that are called prophets. And prophets are those who, in a sense, can communicate with God. They have a sense of the big picture from God's perspective. Sometimes you could say that this is like a scout. In the immediate situation, on a wagon train, the wagon master had the big picture of where they were going, but the uh, scouts would go out every day and they'd ride around the area, they'd review and they'd come back and say, well, there's not enough water on this road, we need to go over here. Or if we go this way, we're going to run into some opposition, so let's go over here. And the scouts were sort of guiding that wagon train in the moment. That's what prophets do. They come, they're listening to God, they're surveying their purposes and intentions around us. And what they're doing is they're in the moment, they're giving guidance to the church. Like every analogy, there are weak spots, so just go with me on that. In the fivefold ministry, the next one is the uh, evangelist. The wagon master and the uh, scout are apostle, prophet, but the scout also functions a little bit like an evangelist because he knows the culture around him. Evangelists, you see, are the people who understand the world we live in. And so what happened on a wagon train, they'd be traveling along and then they would come up against the community that was been established there before and the scout would go ahead and they would talk with the, in that case often were indigenous people. Sometimes they could make an arrangement and pass through. But they were always intending, or the intention of the event in that situation was to communicate the intention of the uh, settlers as they moved. In our world today, evangelists are critical people because they're the ones that engage with the community around us. They understand the culture that we're moving into. And as a body of believers, we need these people to come alongside us to help us understand how 
we connect with the world we're in. Because you see, we are followers of Jesus. We're outliers in this world now. And as we move forward on the wagon train, you have, often there was 100, 150, 200 people in these trains. And there was usually tensions that rose up amongst them. And what they needed was pastors. Somebody who could walk amongst them and help people grow in their relationships with each other and understanding of where they were going and what they were doing. And so pastors were the ones that were helping take care of the relationships in the wagon train. And then there was the teachers. Those who came along and said, you know what, you guys grew up in these major communities in the, west, in the east, but now you're going out to the west where there is not a lot of, of uh, organization anymore. You're heading the wild west, and so we need to train you. You need to have skills in terms of ranching or farming or whatever it was. And so they had teachers that would be teaching along the way. The fivefold ministry functions exactly like that in the church. We have people amongst us who are gifted in seeing the big picture. Rob Chartrand was apostolic in terms of visioning what was needed in North Edmonton, North Central Edmonton, Northeast Edmonton. And he led the way in terms of establishing this community. But there were prophets amongst you, people who, listening to God, started to say, well, yeah, we're doing this, but maybe we need to focus in this way or that way. And then there's evangelists among you who had vision. Maybe Rebecca was one of those evangelists who saw the need to minister to the kids in the community and started Kids Capers way back when. And then you had pastoral people who came alongside to take care. The Micahs of this world. Or teachers. People who can take the word of God and break it open. Like those who have taught from this platform. This is the framework that God works through to build you. Because you see, when you look at this passage, it goes on to say their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. When Jesus said he will build his church, and then he said, I have to go to heaven so that the comforter can come, so the advocate can come, so the counselor can come. He will give you everything that is mine, and everything the Father has is mine, so everything's available. You see, it's all through the Holy Spirit. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll push a little bit into the spiritual gifts. That's another whole dynamic alongside all of this. But you need to understand that at the core of who we are as the people of God is the Holy Spirit present in every one of us. 
And when we are being knit together, in other words, our intentions are being knit together, our love for each other grows, every time that happens and that strengthens us, the clarity of what God is calling us to grows. We're doing a history wall today. What's the significance of a history wall? It's a reflection of what God has done amongst us. It's a reflection of the highlights, some of the hard things that happened, but along the bottom is also a statement of what we have learned, how we have grown. It's this revelation of God's goodness amongst us. If you haven't had a chance to fill out something on the history wall, it's going to be available after the service this morning. And we want to encourage you, even if you filled it out last week, to go in there, read what is already on the wall. Maybe you didn't catch everything. But not only that, talk to each other about what you see, what God has spoken to you. You see, you want to get to know each other and each other's hearts. And this is one of the ways it happens. It knits us together. We have a membership uh, luncheon this afternoon. So following History Wall, if you're a part of that cohort that's going to do the membership lunch, it's going to be about 12.45. You still have some time. Oh, make that 11.45. We don't want to make it too late in the day. 11.45. So you have time after the service to take and fellowship with people, but then head downstairs about 11.45. Why is that? It's a significance because, again, it's building us together. And the Spirit of God wants to work in every one of those circumstances. And so it isn't just about getting to know each other, but also hearing God speaking. I want to just draw attention to two little practices that <clears throat> have helped me become sensitive to the Spirit. The first one is not really a practice. It's more of <clears throat> an understanding of who I am and who we are. When we uh, move into a neighborhood, we uh, are often blessed by people that are generous around us. And I can remember one time somebody brought over cookies when we first moved into the neighborhood. Brenda had this sense that she needed to fill the cookie plate and send it back, take it back. And it opened up a door that eventually led to that family becoming followers of Christ. Here's a question for you. Do you think the uh, nudging to fill the cookie tray and take it back was from God or from myself, ourselves? You see, the enemy is not going to tell you to take cookies back to the neighbors, right? Or whatever. And Scripture talks about the fact that we, as people, are sinful. We really don't lean that way. And so when you have something that prompts you to do something good for something else, I would suggest that you just do it. Because the likelihood that it's God is very high. And the likelihood that it is just yourself well, it could be true because you were raised by good parents and, and you have this very positive perspective on how to serve other people. But either way, when you are motivated 
nudged, pushed in some direction to do something good for someone else. Don't second guess yourself. God, is that you? Just do it. And you know what? More often than not, it'll open up a door of conversation. Sometimes they say, well, you didn't have to do that. I know I didn't have to do that, but I wanted to do that. And all of a sudden, you can start connecting with people. It's, a, it's not just your neighbors. It can be going down the road at school, anywhere. You see somebody in trouble, and you stop to help them because you have a sense that you should. That sense that you should most likely is the Holy Spirit. And if it is just because of your good upbringing, that's all right. God can still use it. Because when you act to serve other people, you're fulfilling God's heart. You're not missing the mark. You don't have to second guess it. Just do it. Our son was coming home late from uh, work one night. This is in Fort McMurray. Some kid was hitchhiking up the hill. So Mike stopped to pick him up. Guy gets into his car, into the car, and he starts railing about his parents and how bad they were, and how he was struggling with them, and so on. And the guy says, "Well, you know what I mean, dude. I think that's what he said." And uh, Mike stopped and he thought about it and he goes, "No, actually, I don't know what you mean." He says, "My parents are really good." We really appreciate that conversation that you burst into our bedroom at 2 in the morning to tell us how good we were. The timing was a little off, but it was appreciated. But just the simple fact that he did something because it was the right thing to do strengthened our relationship with him. That's a work of God. So that's the first thing. If you have a nudging in your heart to do something good for someone else, don't second guess, just do it. It's probably God. The second thing is, <clears throat> when you pray, and you're praying for somebody, and you ask God a question, please stop and listen. Just listen to your still small voice inside. I have to say, more often than not, when I stop and listen and I get an answer in that first moment, that first inner voice that speaks to me, more often than not, it is God speaking. If you take the time to listen, I believe God takes the time to answer. And you can respond to it. How? By obeying the nudge. A couple times, I've been with somebody. They've been telling their story. And as they're telling their story, I've said, Lord, what are you saying to me? And in that moment, I stop and I listen. Hey, I'm still listening to that person, but I'm listening to the inner voice. And you know what? He has spoken. He has given me direction. And there have been times where I thought I maybe was a little bit off mark, but I took a chance anyway. And God showed up 
ministered to that person in a unique way that I hadn't expected. And so, if you're nudged to do something good, just do it. If you're asking God a question, pause and listen. If you do those things, you will have a sense that God is with you. And as you respond to it, you will get practiced in hearing the voice of God. You will start to experience a confidence that, yes, this is what he wants me to do. And that's what we want. We want to be have our lives joined together. It starts with me engaging with the Spirit, allowing him to direct me, and then out of that, out of that, connecting with the people around me. Last slide. <clears throat> Jesus is building his church through the Holy Spirit. Two, primary characteristics of the church of Jesus that make it strong is our love for one another, our unity of purpose, and the fact that we're family. I gotta say, the fact that we're family is a powerful thing that we need to understand and take hold of. We were watching our sons play ho uh, soccer when they were teenagers. <clears throat> our older son was a defensive player. Our uh, youngest son <clears throat> was a midfielder, for those of you who know what soccer is, midfield. And uh, the younger son, I have to say, is a bit chippy when he plays. You might notice it if you're watching soccer, someone's running by and the other person grabs their shirt to slow them down. That would have been my younger son. And so one day, I can't remember if it was before or after the incident, but I asked the question, Mark, why are you, do you do this? And he, how, why do you feel like you can get away with? That was the question. He says, Mike's on the field. <clears throat> do you catch what that's going to say? So one day we were watching the soccer game. And this guy's going past, and Mark's trying to get the ball away from him, and he grabs his jersey, and he's pulling him back. And the guy didn't like it, so he turned around and retaliated with Mark. And Mark got pushed back, and then he just stepped back, because Mike came up from behind. It was not pretty. But it was family. Right? It's family. Standing for each other. That's why that makes us strong. And then you have the fruit of the Spirit as evidence of the work of the Spirit amongst us. You want to know that the Holy Spirit's working in you? Pray for patience. Pray that God would give you gentleness. Pray that God would show you how to have self-control. And then when you pray that, <clears throat> the second part is, Lord, I'm praying for this, but I need your help. Because I can tell you now, in yourself, you can't do it. But if you invite the Holy Spirit to help you, he will come and he will guide you. He will warn you. He will give you a way to escape. 1 Corinthians 10, there is no temptation taking you, but such is common to everyone. 
But God is faithful. He will give you a way to escape. You need to understand that when you invite him to shape you and mold you, and you ask him to help, the Spirit of God is present to help. And then understand that the fivefold ministry, the gifts of Jesus, are the framework of building his people, strengthening his body. They are the gifts that Jesus has given that guide us. And so that's why being a part of a community like this, being committed to it, and being committed means not just committed to support it, committed to allow it to shape you and speak into your life. That whole thing is critical to our being the people of God. And so I encourage you to go and serve him, but also make room for him to speak to you, to be present with you, to guide you, to enable you to take on all that God wants for you to do. Understanding that they will be the character of the fruit of the Spirit will make it possible to penetrate places that you hadn't anticipated. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you and praise you for who you are. Father, we thank you that you had a plan to redeem this world. And Jesus, I thank you that you came and gave us a clear picture of the Father so that we would understand and know who he is and what his heart for us is. And then we thank you, Lord Jesus, for sending the Holy Spirit to be our counselor, our guide, our advocate, the one who is alongside us in every circumstance so that we might truly serve you with the whole of our being. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So please stand. And let me remind you who you are. You are the people of God. You are called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So go and be who you are. Understanding. See, I'm adding now to this. Understanding that the Holy Spirit is present with you to empower you, to enable you to be all that you were called to be, to be clear examples of the life of Jesus to the world around you. So go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Serve him faithfully. Amen. Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton and throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God, into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.